Welcome one and all to episode 121 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox, with me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, another week, another college football previews. We are, well, we're about four weeks away, well, three weeks from week zero, but four weeks away from the start of the college football season, week one of the college football season, and, and really getting... A look at these 2022 draft prospects in action. Um, great names, great players, and the Pac-12 is, is in there too. So we'll discuss the <laughs> Pac-12 today. They are the, uh, I, I guess we could say, the redheaded stepchild of the Group of Five, right? Like, well, this or, is the sorry, fifth the power, the, the Power Five. My bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, our fifth and final Power Five, and that's. You know, with with a purpose because we we just aren't very high on the Pac-12's uh, chances this year. However, I think you know to be fair, I think there are a couple of teams that have the talent to crash the party. It just is it. Do they have the combination of talent and coaching and schedule to get it done? And that's where I think we we don't really see it happening for this conference as far as getting a playoff berth. But you never. You really never know until the games start. It's going to be a unique season again. It won't be quite on 2020's level, but we're still going to see some games that might be that might be swayed because of the COVID situation. Well, and I mean to be fair, the the one thing the Pac-12 does have going for it th- this year is that unknown everywhere else. As we we've discussed, um, the SEC has you know Georgia always they always have alabama uh but it doesn't feel like the normal alabama um and georgia has a lot of questions that they have to answer and oh wait they have to play clemson you know Mm. if clemson loses to georgia and then finds a way to lose in the acc that really does open the door for a one-loss Pac-12 team, which we might see this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about know, we, Big Twelve, um, the big the Big Twelve, even even your Buckeyes, the Big Ten, with the youngsters at the quarterback position. While it seems unlikely, they still have to play Oregon, which yep. we'll discuss shortly, and then they have to go through the Big Ten. So it's you know. It, it seems like the Pac-12 is a long shot. The reality is, and the reason we kind of make fun of it, is the Pac-12 was in the inaugural college football playoff championship game, Oregon getting boat raced by uh, some small school, Ohio State. I can't remember, something like that. I think it was um, Ohio State's third-string quarterback. Was that the <laughs> yeah, and and you know they but they did they got I mean they got boat raced by Ohio State that was obviously the Ezekiel Elliott um, domination and the Pac-12 since then has one other appearance from the Washington Huskies in 2017 where they were again boat raced this time in the semifinals. Um, which has made it really difficult to buy them as a true contending team. I mean, two two teams over the the college football playoffs six seasons. Um, they, you know, two separate teams. Like we said, the Oregon team 
was supposed to be the team. They were supposed to be the team that was going to win it all with Marcus Mariota. And they, again, they just didn't show up. And, and since then, it's just been a, well, I mean, it's been a bastion of failure. And, and we'll kind of go through each team and where they're at now. But uh, let's start with the, you know what, let's start with the Pac-12 South. Because... Okay. Mixing it up uh, a little bit, that's good. I, I, well, I wanted well, and the North are, are where the actual good contending teams are. So, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> and this this was interesting. I want to say again for our listeners, we're going based on the rankings that have been the, the order that's been predicted by Athlon Sports. So when you hear this first team that we're going to talk about, this isn't Seth being a homer and wanting to talk about a local team. This is how Athlon sports and their college football preview has set up they actually are picking this team first i'll let you take this one since it's your local boys yeah the arizona state sun devils with herm edwards despite some slight controversy during the off season about improper covid um was it practice protocols or something practice protocols and recruiting they just you know they are Picked by Athlon, again, not us, to finish first in the Pac-12 South. Um, I, have a, I have a theory behind that pick, and the theory is that they have uh, who is probably the best college quarterback in the Pac-12 right now in Jaden Daniels. Um, uh, a a Phenomenal two-way talent can run the ball, can throw the ball. Uh, again, had a offish season in a in what was COVID hell in the Pac-12, but um, you know he is he is the real deal when it comes to college quarterbacks. the The biggest worry about him as a prospect, a guy that you and I both like as a college quarterback, is man that guy's thin. Um, they list him at 6'3", I believe, 185 pounds. Uh, that is, that is again, just a, he's a small guy. He's, he's a lean guy. They've, you know, tried to put weight on him. It's, you know, hasn't worked. Um, but he's, he's produced well. He's played well. He continues to grow, and I think... I think he right now projects as a nice day three pick. I I truly think he's a guy that needs to stay and go to school all four years, but I think he has a real good chance of being a quality NFL backup for a team that has a guy. Um, you know, we've seen guys, Brett Hundley, um, uh, who's the kid uh, that was just from – uh, names escaping me. But, You're talking yeah, about Mike I mean, No, no, not another ASU guy. But oh. like, just, just you know, we've seen athletic quarterbacks that can give kind of two-way players uh, get chances in in the NFL lately as backup quarterbacks, and I think that's kind of what Daniels has the opportunity to be here. Um, the other thing is they've got, and we'll talk about it on our patreon show they've got maybe the best interior offensive line prospect in this draft class and so that's a 
that's a little uh, little tease for you guys to subscribe to the Patreon. Um, we'll talk about him this week. The other thing is they've got a lot of draftable talent on defense. I'm not talking about guys that are going to start in the NFL, but draftable guys. Uh, and so that makes them a really intriguing team when you talk about a veteran quarterback and a talented um, athletic defense. So I get why they're ranked this high, but I'm a bit surprised that they're ranked over USC. USC comes in at number two. Clay Helton has been the head coach since 2015. Um, he's 45 and 23. They were five and one last year, but they got you know beaten the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. The key to this season for them is Keaton Slovis. They're their projected first-round quarterback talent. Um, he uh, has, he, you know, he is the guy, we've talked about him in other shows, has he plateaued as a prospect uh, after, you know, year one? Is he, are we going to see something similar to what we saw with uh, Josh Rosen at UCLA where, as true freshmen, they look like guys that could be early picks and then never live up to the hype. Um, yeah, what, Slovis what is a, USC? yeah so, Slovis is a guy I wrote about. I just published the, the USC prospect preview on a Patreon site. So you can go there and sign up, but I'll give you a little bit of information here. Um, he, he came in as a starter, as a true freshman, and he wasn't a big-time recruit. 247 has him as a three-star recruit uh, in 2019. But he came in and he, he stepped in and he set the conference record for completion percentage and the USC freshman records for completions and passing yards. Last year, his touchdown passes dipped from 30 to 17, but, of course, they only played six games. So 17 is still a pretty good number. But the seven interceptions that he threw also was tied for the Pac-12 lead. So we saw his completion percentage dip. We saw his yards per attempt dip by a full yard, despite having guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and, and Tyler Vaughns to throw to. And uh, he loses both of those guys. But he still, I, I still think USC is the cream of the crop in the, in the Pac-12 South. They were the best chance to get into a playoff last year in a unique season. If they had just won that last game, they would have made the committee have a tough decision with them being at 6-0. and But that loss helped keep them out of the playoff, and then they opted out of, out of playing in any bowl games. But this year they've got Drake London, big-time receiver. He's going to be there for his junior year. They're, it looks like they're going to lose Brew McCoy, who is a, a big and a highly touted redshirt sophomore receiver, but he ran into some legal issues, and he is being, I believe, charged with a felony for some kind of domestic-related issue. It doesn't appear that he's going to play this year. Uh, he, we may have seen the last of him at USC. That's just coming through, I think, earlier today. On a, We're taping on a Monday. I saw that earlier today. So they do get a couple of good transfer receivers, though, in Taj Washington, from Memphis, and they're also getting KD Nixon from Colorado. So they're they're picking up a couple talented receiver transfers. They're picking up another big time transfer and running back Keontae Ingram from Texas. He's going to be 
I think they're running back 1A in their backfield committee because he's the better pass catcher between uh, he and the other gentleman who is, uh, his name is Vi Malapai, I believe. And USC also has big pass rusher Drake Jackson. So they got two Drakes, Drake London, Drake Jackson, both expected to be early round draft picks. And so I think what you're going to see is USC end up taking this division. And that was Vevai Malapai, and I apologize again. It would be helpful if sometimes these schools would put the, uh, give us the assist on the pronunciation of some of these names. Some schools do, some schools don't. So as as a result, we try to uh, do our best until we get the clarification from Big Draft later in the season. Yeah, and I don't care. So and, and you know we see it, too. and we see it even to to these guys will go to the combine and finally tell you how the correct pronunciation is. So we didn't know uh, <laughs> we didn't know Tagovailoa was actually uh, Tongavailoa until he said something at the combine or, or some uh, some other interview. So anyway, we try our we we try our best. Number three is the team that's been we, – we discussed them when we discussed college football coaches. The Utah Utes, um, you know, they get a lot out of this program from Kyle Whittingham. I'm never going to – I'm never going to disrespect what Whittingham has done at Utah because they've come from being, you know, small school, Mountain West, Darlings, to now perennial Pac-12 championship contenders uh that you know they're they're a good program uh we talked about it in the big 12 preview charlie brewer transferred in so they went from jake bentley to charlie brewer uh so maybe the one bugaboo has been the inability to recruit a truly uh dynamic quarterback since the guy they had there what two three years ago um, can't remember his name off the top yeah, of my head. Huntley. The, yeah, Huntley, who was phenomenal, but and like he's now spent uh, yeah, a lot of time injured. He's now with the Ravens, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, you look at it; they they've got a good combination of veteran talent on offense and. They're always phenomenal defensively, and we'll discuss, you know, one of their top prospects on the Patreon as well. But you look at Utah, the last couple seasons, it's been a bit of a struggle uh, just to get going, like we talked about. You've got, you know, Whittingham is in his 17th year as coach. He's not going anywhere ever. Like, he's this is where he'll be. Uh, but are they going to compete this year? It just feels like they're in a holding mode as they continue to cycle in veteran kind of stopgap quarterbacks, which is odd when you talk about college football doing that, right? Like that's an NFL thing where you where you bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick for a year, but it feels like they're doing the same thing with – Albeit good quarterbacks, but I mean fifth and sixth year guys. Right. The transfer portal has created a, a sort of a free agency in college football, so they've had to go the free agent route with with um, 
Jake Bentley last year, now Charlie Brewer. We talked about Charlie Brewer left Baylor as the second all-time passer in their school history, but he he only completed 61.7% of his passes. That's very average to below average for the today's college game. Only six yards per attempt last year. So really 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Brewer has been, despite his productivity in relation to other Baylor quarterbacks, he's been a bit mediocre. So I don't think it's any guarantee that he actually holds on to this job all year. Um, I don't think they contend in the Pac-12, although they, uh, like you said, they're they're always going to be a tough out. Uh, I just don't think they have the offensive firepower to compete with some of these other schools, even within their own division. Um, One guy I wanted to mention is they're getting back Britton Covey, and he is a big-time playmaker for them. He's a quick receiver and return man. He's been injured a lot, though, and he actually entered college in 2015. He did do a two-year mission, as many players from the Utah area do. Uh, but now he's entering his, his seventh season now since he got out of high school, which is really unusual. He he will turn 25 next spring before the draft. So, but but they do get Covey back, and if he can stay healthy, he, he gives them an added dimension on offense. UCLA and Chip Kelly have been bad, 10 and 21. Uh, but Dorian Thompson Robinson returns. He's a phenomenal talent at quarterback, but. He never has put it together under Chip. Um, yeah. I, I think some I've, people look at UCLA, though, and, and feel like they're a bit, I don't want to say sleeping giant, because that might seem like an a too big of a leap. Yeah. yeah, but I do think they have done a good job accumulating talent, both through recruiting and through the transfer portal. So I think some people do expect UCLA to be better than what they have been under chip i mean you, you said it 10 and 21 i mean he's i think he's been fired for less but there are people i think that can ex- that do expect this year to be a turnaround year for this school finally yeah and, and the offense is starting to work um you know they were at 455 yards and 35 points per game mm-hmm. and That's, we've seen thompson that- robinson just have these blow-up games, like these huge, huge passing games. He's not consistent, but he he does appear to have it in him. And then um, the the big thing they're going to have to do is replace Dem- Demetric Felton, who was kind of their do-it-all guy last year. Um, and they've got some young guys in the mix. It should be interesting. Like you they, said, I, they they don't feel like they're – as bad as the ten and twenty one in in his um, three seasons there, but I mean it's crazy to think he only lost seven games overall at, at Oregon, and he's already lost twenty one at UCLA. Yeah, and and I want to uh, they they are getting some good transfer players in, and they, I have another good player. I'm, I don't want to talk too much about that because I've got two guys earmarked to talk about on the Patreon episode that's going to post on Thursday. But I will mention Zach Charbonnet. He's coming from Michigan. He he looked like Michigan's best running back, but for some reason he fell out of favor last year and just didn't play a lot. I think maybe he was dinged up a little, but then uh, there were other factors there too. Charbonnet transfers. 
They get another transfer running back who I'll talk about on Thursday, and they also had the Pac-12 leader in yards per reception, and I'll talk about him on Thursday too. So I can see why there's some optimism there, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Colorado is in year two of Carl Durrell. Former they UCLA finished, coach, right? Yeah, they finished 4-2 and two last year, 4-1 and one in the Pac-12. I'm actually surprised that they're not getting a little more um, juice with, with this team. I know they've lost some talent, but Sam Neuer was – a second team all Pac-12 quarterback last year. It and then they've done a lot to kind of try and fix this defense. And they also I, had Jarek Broussard who led the Pac-12 in rushing last year. So and, they have And so yeah, I'm just I'm yeah, surprised. They have something to, on. I'm I am surprised to see them this low um heading into the season. I quite frankly, would have not been surprised to see them over, you know, a team like ASU. Like, I, I the, the Pac-12 South rankings kind of mystified me this year. Um, I, I thought USC was clear number one going into this year. And then I thought, I thought UCLA and Colorado were a toss-up at who would be the second team, quite frankly. Um, so to see them at five was a bit surprising. They're young. I mean, their best players on offense are sophomores. When you talk about, um, you know, Broussard, Alex Fontenot, who's a who's also a, a talented sophomore running back, and then wide receiver Dimitri Stanley. I mean, those are all guys that are not even draft eligible, so we're not going to talk about them very much. But they're. I mean, when you're talking about three of your best players on offense are sophomores. And you're coming off a four and four and one season in the conference. You have to be excited about that because, more importantly, four of your best five players on defense are juniors and seniors. So, yeah. like th- that's that's usually the recipe for success when you look at college football. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Finishing up the Pac-12 South, you have the University of Arizona Wildcats who. They I have a new head coach. Was, and I think this was the most shocking hire of all the head coaches because I don't think anybody even had this on their radar. Was it shocking, um, or can they just not attract a big-time candidate right now? Because well, let's mention what... it's their, their new coach is Jed Fish. He's a longtime assistant. He uh, has a lot of experience being both an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach. He very briefly did some inter, uh, interim head coaching. He was with New England last year, um, and he was involved with their offensive coaching staff. So it was a name that was just kind of pulled out of thin air. And it, for me, uh, obviously a respected coach. He keeps getting work. He's worked with some other top-tier head coaches, but it it's uh, just – a. I don't know what to expect out of Arizona. This is a, a coach who he doesn't have the head coaching experience. He doesn't have the experience of um, recruiting, being a, a head, you know, ahead of the recruiting like he's going to have to be as the head coach. So it's going to be very a very uh, new situation for Arizona. Like I don't think that, that they're they're in last place here, 
projected in last place here for a reason. I think the cupboard is kind of bare, and they've got this really unknown quantity at head coach. Well, and you look at it, you mentioned the cupboard being bare. They're basically picking up uh, what I like to call refugee recruits from from Arizona. So basically kids that have gone out of high school to – to uh, schools outside of Arizona, and now they're back. And so you look at that, they got to figure out the quarterback position. Uh, Grant Gannell, who was their starter last year, I believe he was from Texas, has transferred to Memphis. And then they've got Will Plummer, who I believe was at Purdue, and then Gunnar Cruz, who was at Washington State. I could be wrong about Plummer. Uh, but Plummer, I think, is a freshman. They, uh, you you might be thinking of, uh, yeah, Plummer was a true freshman last year. Oh, okay. So, yeah. and he is an, an a local Arizona guy. He his brother Jack is the starter at Purdue, and that's who you're thinking. Okay. Of. Yeah. Okay. So, but Gunner Cruz is a Washington State transfer. Who and then. And then Jordan McLeod from uh, USF. So, like I said, they've just got a bunch of guys that <laughs> are transferring from different schools to yeah, let, come here. And, ma- and maybe that's what they brought on a, a quote-unquote quarterback guru to go through. I don't think anybody's really expecting anything from them in year one under mm-hmm. uh, Jed Fish. Let's hope they get him some help with the recruiting uh, aspect of things because that's where really the past couple of coaches have just – not been able to get it done. I mean, even though when Kevin Sumlin went there, I think a lot of people thought he would be able to bring some top names with him, and and he just never was. Or when he did bring a really good name, that guy wouldn't stick around. So uh, it it's, hasn't been a good stretch for Arizona, you know, going back quite a ways. I think Rich Rod had had a little bit of success, but it just hasn't really worked out. Uh, we got to go to the North and Oregon. And they won the Pac-12 last year in a really unique way. Uh, they were the second-place team in the North, and they got into the Pac-12 championship game because Washington had so many players out for testing positive for COVID. So Oregon got into that Pac-12 championship game, and they ended up beating USC and uh, going on to the Rose Bowl. They have a new starting quarterback this year, though, because their last guy... Uh, Tyler Shuck, he transferred to Texas Tech. We talked about that during the Big 12 preview. And also we talked about him more in detail on the Patreon episode uh, for Big 12. They are going to probably be starting a season with Anthony Brown, who is a transfer from Boston College. He would come in in more of the running situations last year. But he is he, he does have a strong arm, and he does have running ability. Oregon, tough schedule at OSU week two, and that is going to be a a tough game for a Pac-12 team to travel across the country and play an early game. That's where it's scheduled at right now. That could change. But they're also at Utah and at Washington. So three of their toughest opponents on the schedule, they have to go on the road and play them. Um, I don't know. I don't think Oregon repeats this year. I think this is kind of an in-between year for them. I think USC, to me, is the favorite in the, in the whole Pac-12, and Oregon is probably going to have to scrape and claw to get back into that into that conference championship game. 
Yeah, and I think Oregon's best chance, and and I want people to understand when I say this, I'm not making a comparison, but I think Oregon's best chance is to do kind of what Clemson did with Trevor Lawrence the year they won the national championship with Lawrence, which was Kelly Bryant was kind of the guy, and then they brought in Lawrence, and then then he took over, and we saw that... Work at Clemson, like I said, I'm not expecting the same results, but Ty Thompson, the superstar freshman, um, is good enough to maybe elicit an opportunity um, for him to come in and and lead them. I think that's their best chance. I think if Brown's the guy all year, they're. I think you're exactly right. They're not good enough. But if Thompson... If Brown keeps them afloat and then Thompson comes in and takes over and, and plays up to his expectation level, uh, they'll end up being a team to be reckoned with. But that you know, those are the questions they gotta answer uh, this year. Number two, the Washington Huskies. And the team that would know, have been playing for that Pac twelve championship had it not been for, for COVID. So a team uh, and they were uh, in their first uh, First year under their new head coach after Chris Peterson had stepped down. Yeah, and, and Jimmy Lake's done a nice job. Um, the question here is, is who is going to be the quarterback? They've got some interesting options, and they've also got a super recruit coming in as well. Um, yeah, I actually like this comparison. I mean, again, not we're not talking about one of these freshmen stepping in and taking over and winning a national championship like Trevor Lawrence, but I think this is a situation where Washington might go with the uh, the freshman Sam Heward early, earlier, sooner than later, before things start to go to hell, and then and and see if he can win the job. I think this is a good, um, similar example to what you brought up with Oregon. And, you know, they've got a ton of talent along the offensive line, which is going to make things a lot easier for anybody that comes in. Um, They've also got a dynamic and aggressive defense. And and more than anything, they've been – they have been a team that produces consistent first and second or day one and day two talent along the defensive side of the ball – uh, under Chris Peterson, I see no reason that that's not going to continue that or that won't continue under Lake. Yeah, the the, uh, the big blow to them is their uh, top pass rusher last season was Zion Tupuola Fatui, and he's injured. He's got an Achilles injury. We don't know if we're going to see him this year. Um, their their schedule they've got games at Michigan, but they are home against Oregon and. Wazoo for the Apple Cup. So Washington has, in my opinion, a pretty favorable schedule. And I like them to actually overtake Oregon and win this uh, win this division again. So I, I like or I like a Washington-USC final in the conference championship. Cal could crash the party, maybe? I don't know. Uh, they've got a, a senior quarterback, and they're in uh, – their their coach right now, Justin Wilcox, is only twenty one and twenty one, but they have a senior quarterback coming in, coming back in uh, Chase Garbers, and there is a lot of optimism. His stats aren't great, 
but there's optimism that Garbers can be one of these late bloomers, one of these seniors that takes a leap. And he's got good size, 6'2", 225. I almost picked him to talk about on Thursday. I'm not quite that big of a believer in him. But some people are saying he could be like this year's Davis Mills, like how he went from kind of a no, not a, and also ran to becoming a third-round pick last last year. So Garbers is their starter. They have and, games. And there's, yeah, and their talent ahead. is senior, senior heavy this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, running backs, wide receivers uh, are seniors. Their top defensive talent are seniors it's are they super like seniors said, some of no. them are. <laughs> some of them are but not all of them but like as you said this is if they're going to make a run and and that's what these middle of the pack teams i mean we've talked about it cal is kind of like stanford is kind of like northwestern these are the years when they make runs right when they have a bunch of seniors that have had decent careers and then they all put it together uh, can they do that this year? Go ahead and talk about their schedule. It's a tough road games. They're at TCU. They're also on the road at Washington, and they're on the road at Oregon. So to get to the uh, Pac-12 Conference Championship game, they are going to have to beat their, the top two teams in their conference, or in their division, they're going to have to beat them on the road. And also uh, TCU is, their, is that tough non-conference opponent that's always going to give – teams fits on on defense their offense needs to take a little bit of a step but i think they are going to make life tough for a couple of teams this year because of that veteran presence stanford speaking of veteran presence david shaw's back yet again and he's been there for what feels like forever he's 90 and 36 as oh, their head coach his, this is his 11th season it, it feels like 21 honestly i mean he's been there for so long. <laughs> but i mean i don't mean that in a disparaging way he's he's uh gotten them close a couple of times he had them and it wasn't too far back where they had a great run um i don't see it this year they're gonna have a brand new starter at quarterback because the aforementioned davis mills has moved on to the nfl so they've got an open quarterback competition. They do have some big-time players on the defensive line in Thomas Booker and Dalen Wade Perry. Uh, the NFL people seem to like those two big defensive linemen. Uh, they're both projected to be interior guys, but they can put uh, Booker especially can put some pressure on the quarterback. But I don't see it with them this year. Um, middle of the pack team middle of the pack 12 um that's how it's going to be i think cal is going to be the one that beats them in their version of the game even though we all know the game is actually ohio state michigan uh washington state wazoo uh we don't know what's going on there nick rolovich obviously struggled in year one and really just they only played four games yeah, tough season for him to come in. I mean, this is – and as much as – and we have a friend that is up in that area, and, and they talked about how much they were kind of over the Mike Leach thing there. But it, it just feels like for Leach and for Washington State, it was the right fit. And now, you know, Leach has got questions, and they've got questions about Rolovich. Um, Leach was you know, kind of a lightning rod. Um, because of some of the things that you would tweet about, 
and <laughs> now and, and I, I don't know what the I don't know anybody that was like really excited about Rolovich although he did a pretty good job at, at Hawaii but now he's a bit of, he's becoming a bit of a lightning rod for some of the things some of the stances that he's taken re- regarding the COVID vaccine so uh, interesting kind of hot button situation to watch out in Washington State it seems like a it seems not to be a marriage made in heaven at least early on there's a lot of re- kind of rebuilding of relationships that that probably needs to take place of course we have no idea what um the players think of Rolovich. they might love him and it just might be some of the media that that it doesn't particularly like him but uh it i don't feel a lot of optimism coming out of the fan base there from there we head to Oregon State, and I don't know, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about Oregon State at this point. Um, I really just wanted to mention Oregon State's head coach is Jonathan Smith, because we had a a coach a couple weeks ago that we thought had a really generic name, and that's about as generic a name as you can get. Uh, Mr. Jonathan, (laughs) yeah, Jonathan Smith, it hasn't been a good run for him. He's 9-22, so I mean, I, I think... At some point, it is Oregon State. They haven't had a lot of success unless the coach has been uh, Mike Riley. But at some point, you got to move on. Nine twenty-two is pretty pathetic, and, and there's not much reason for optimism with this year's team. No, there's not. And, and you know, you look at what they bring back. It's not, you know, like you said, there's not a whole lot of talent or reason to be excited about it on either side of the ball. Um, that's the Pac-12. Are there any names we missed or, you know, any avenues we missed? I think the sleeper team for both of us this year is Cal, right? Like, if, Yeah, if, it sounds if, like you think Colorado might be too. I would say Cal. For me, Cal and UCLA. I am, I am buying into the uh, – UCLA maybe mini breakout, and I think Cal is is a good sleeper in that other in the other division. You know, in Colorado, when I say I don't expect them to win, I just am shocked that they were in fifth and ASU was in first. I think that was more my shock. You know, (laughs) like I said, I would take USC and UCLA over them. Uh, I think Colorado is probably the third best team in the Pac-12 South. Uh, I don't, you know, and so we'll see what happens there. Uh, this is, you know, again, I don't see any of these teams getting in. Yeah. To no. This isn't. This isn't going to be a playoff conference. I don't think we should throw out some some names that we didn't really talk about in depth, but names that we we want you to keep an eye on. Uh, C.J. Verdell, the running back from Oregon, and uh, his backfield mate Travis Dye. Those are two pretty good players. Uh, Max Borgie is a player that Fantasy Dynasty Twitter loved two years ago. Um, he was in the doghouse last year with Rolovich, so maybe he maybe uh, he helps mend fences with Rolovich and has a breakout year that people have been looking for. Uh, a couple tight ends. Brant Keithy from Utah is a player that I know Draftniks who like him quite a bit. He's more of an undersized kind of H-back type. Cade Otten is another tight end from the conference who... He's from Washington, and he 
looks like um, you know Washington has done a good job producing tight ends, and of course Oregon has star defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau, who's expected to be drafted in the top five early on, and there, you know, you might not love. Uh, the athletic testing when he comes to test, I don't think he's going to test like Miles Garrett. But remind, we'll talk more on Thursday about a player who we expect to outplay his his testing. Thibodeau is the real deal. I think um, when you look at how he played as a freshman, and I do think he's explo- an explosive player and a guy. Uh, we recall a game where he, I think it was the Pac-12 championship his freshman year, where he had a couple sacks and blocked a punt. So this guy is for real. And the last guy I'll mention is uh, cornerback Chris Steele from USC. He's six foot. He's listed at six two. He has that length that you want to see. He is a player who is expected to test very, very well athletically. He might not blaze in the forty, but he still should be around a four five or a little better than that. But the thing we want to see out of him this year is improvement with the, with the ball skills. He hasn't got his hand on a lot of passes. And that's something that I know I like to look for, and I know that a lot of NFL people like to look for as well. And that'll – oh, wait. No, we've got one thing to discuss here on this hot take tonight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> an interesting kind of dynamic, so to speak, of this – the uh, – the new college rules with the NI or NILs or whatever. Yeah, name, um, image, and likeness for uh, uh, for everybody who doesn't know what the NIL is. But uh, yeah, this was and this is an unprecedented situation that that arose today with a team that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so Ohio State has decided, or Ohio State recruit number one or two recruit in the country. Depending on where you look, uh, Quinn Ewers, Ewers. Yeah, that's uh, right. Out of out of Texas. That uh, was one pronunciation quarter- I was able to verify. <laughs> yeah. Quarterback, uh, phenomenal talent. I mean, again, he's one or two, no matter where you look on, he's like, on the uh, rankings website. He's like a high school Peyton Manning with John Daly hair. Yeah, he. Uh, he has decided to forego his senior season. And is he joining Ohio State this year? Yeah, yeah. He's actually expected to join them ASAP. But there's, I guess, some paperwork and some, uh, you know, red tape that has to be worked out. But Quinn Ewers, and this isn't really a hot take. I guess the hot take is just that this is an unprecedented situation. Quinn Ewers quitting, uh, I shouldn't say quitting, but foregoing a senior season of high school because he's already got offers that apparently are upwards of a million dollars or more. And we, uh, similar to Bryce Young at Alabama, who Nick Saban said is already getting seven-figure offers for name, image, and likeness. Um, you were said it was a tough decision. He actually tried, he and his family tried to kind of battle with Texas to allow him to collect on his name, image, and likeness while he was a senior in high school. But they said no. He worked it out with Ohio State, where I guess they still had room in the 2021 class. He reclassified from 2022 to 2021, and now he's joined the team immediately. So 
a, a crowded quarterback situation with C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord and J- and Jack Miller becomes even more crowded now because Quinn Ewers is apparently going to be in the mix. Now, is he going to have time to compete to start this season with three guys that have been there for at least six months, and in the case of Stroud and Miller, for um, the past year and a half? I don't think so. I don't think so. But what it does is it makes kind of a messy quarterback situation a little messier because Stroud, the presumptive starter for this season, is not eligible for the draft until after 2022, nor is Miller. And McCord is not eligible for the draft until 2023. So you have a logjam here. A lot of people are expecting two of these guys, or maybe three, to transfer at some point. And we're going to see if it's more important for players to be affiliated with top-notch programs or to be getting early playing time. I think that's going to be something that is going to get worked out with this NIL stuff. And I think, honestly, it's going to depend on the school. I think we're going to see probably one of these guys transfer out. But I think two of them will at least stick it out for a couple years. Two, I think Stroud and two others will stick it out for at least this year, maybe next. But then you might see somebody move on. So a uh, very, very fascinating situation in my mind. Yeah, and I'm reading this, and, and so, I mean, obviously correct us if I am wrong, or correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm reading that Texas, um, Mississippi, and Illinois are the states that have specific language where high school kids cannot profit off the NIL. So that's going to make it difficult, I think, for some of these five-star Recruits who, I mean, Ewer's decision was something to behold. Uh, you look at like an Arch Manning now. Um, right. Right. Is he going to be a guy that follows suit? I don't know where, what state he, is he in, in high school? He's in Louisiana, so he might be able to do it anyways. But, you know, it's. It, it, let, there's, I guess there's two questions to ask. You you talked about Ewers, and, I mean, he can go sit, be the, and redshirt and make a million dollars as a redshirt, basically gain a year of, of live experience, and then, obviously, you you guys don't expect it, but... You know, if, if for some reason Ohio State or let's let's back off of Ohio State. Let's say it's a it's a school like Ole Miss. Let's just you know go to an SEC school where you know they've put these rules in place now where red shirts can play in bowl games without using losing eligibility. So you know, let's look at it. What if it's a a team like Ole Miss? You know, that's not a that's not a perennial college football playoff team that's going to go play in let's say you know the gator bowl and all of a sudden they've got a red shirt and we'll just say arch manning because i mean he's got some connections to Ole miss obviously you know we'll just we'll say arch manning so he foregoes his his senior year of high school red shirts gets paid you know a million dollars in endorsements and he just red shirts but then he can also play in that 
in that bowl game without losing any any eligibility. So so now all of a sudden he's basically practiced with the team his entire what would be senior year of high school and got to play in a game before he would even be a true freshman. And he still has, technically speaking, four years of eligibility left. Um, it It's just... It, it's going to be an interesting dynamic because I don't think it's, quote-unquote, ruining anything. I just think it's going to be an interesting dynamic on how it's all going to work out because... If you're a, if you're a team, obviously like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, it'll be a little more difficult. You you know a guy like yours is probably not going to get a shot to play in the college football playoffs. That's unlikely. But you know, God forbid, for your sake, Justin, you know Ohio State doesn't make the college football playoffs this year. Say they're say they're just in the Rose Bowl, and you know Stroud doesn't live up to what the expectations were. Do you not want to see Ewers in the in the Rose Bowl in a live situation to, to now make it? You know now you're now you're able to make a decision on a quarterback in live gameplay. Yeah, I think I, I mean there's not going to be any shortage probably of games this season where a guy like Ewers or or um, Kyle McCord is going to be able to come in and get some reps at the end of games. We didn't see anybody else besides Fields throw a pass for Ohio State last year because Ohio State only played six games, you know, before they got into the playoffs. So there was it, – it was a laser focus on just keeping enough guys healthy enough to roster for these games. But in years past, we've seen plenty of opportunities for Ohio State to get two or three quarterbacks from reps. So I don't think it's going to – I don't think it's an immediate factor where – it's like, oh, God, there's a logjam here. We've got to all transfer. But guys will start to get antsy after a while. They're, they're not going to just be happy sitting for three years and collecting endorsement checks. Ultimately, uh, these guys still want to compete and still want to play in games. So um, I think it might take a couple years to shake out. And I think teams like you mentioned, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, maybe Georgia, some of the other top programs, are going to be able to hold on to some players for a little bit longer than they have in the past under maybe circumstances where a guy loses a a quarterback job. But I still think you're going to see a lot of movement team to team. And and, uh, that transfer portal has been a game changer. I'm not sure we're going to ever be able to put the toothpaste in the tube and go back to that situation where guys have to sit out a year to transfer. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But uh, I think we're going to see a lot of player movement because of this. But you will also see a, a, a big divide, an even bigger divide between the top programs and, and the little guys. And it, Ewers is now the first player, of, and we'll see if it becomes a trend or if they try and make some kind of rule against doing this. I don't think they will successfully be able to make a rule against doing what he did kind of like when the NBA made the rule to stop letting high school seniors go directly to the NBA. I don't think that's in anybody's best interest. So I think we just got uh, Ewers kind of pioneering what I think is going to be a situation that more and more we're going to see more and more over the next couple of years. I'm just impressed the guy's graduating high school in three years too. I mean, that's, 
that says a lot too that he was able to even pull this off because it's to my knowledge it's kind of hard to get a lot of high school credits that quickly i haven't heard of i've heard of guys reclassifying and going in or i've heard of guys going in early obviously in the winter so that they can be with their college team for spring ball but never skipping their entire senior year yeah, it's it's impressive by yours and, and but I think it's also it shows you where we're at where when they like you said, when they opened or when they opened that gate they they opened the problems that are gonna come with it and this is one of those like fallout issues. Um Yeah. I don't know I don't know if they expected it this soon though. And it's so not we'll, and it's not a problem for the kids because you know, take the money, young man. You you might not uh, if you don't pan out. You're still getting millions of dollars in endorsements early in your college career, and we don't have to worry so much about a situation like poor Marcus Lattimore, who ripped up his knee when he, it looked like he was on his way to NFL stardom, and he never was able to to get there because of the injury situation. So, it's it's a really good situation for for these uh, college and young prep athletes that have that kind of following and can capitalize on it i think it's great for them it poses challenges for recruiting um but i'm not going to shed a tear for big college programs or the ncaa no and that'll be it from us tonight interesting discussion in the show as always we appreciate you listening give us a uh, a review a five-star review that would be great subscribe to our patreon that would be even better we have we offer two things and it's full of content uh right now our our weekly podcast like we said it's it, every week we go through it um we've been looking at three kind of under the radar day two day three type of prospects as we head into each each conference's season yeah uh, actually and, three each so a total of yeah, six or six. And even more in some cases and and then justin's been writing up about all the top 25 teams um so i think he's he's about out of the top 10 now and then heading into that middle of the range we get about 10 left yeah so a lot of lot of prospect information so give us a follow two bucks a month or four bucks a month nothing too crazy uh and you'll get all of that content as well but we appreciate you listening as always and we'll be back next week as we kind of do a overview of the the group of five and and who to know and who to watch what do you guys think for the outro for now Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We'd pro- we might be able to record something. We can, for now we could do, um,